Hello and welcome to Being Well. I'm Forrest Hansen. If you're new to the podcast, this is where we explore the practical science of lasting well-being. And if you've listened before, welcome back. We've spent a lot of time on the podcast talking about how to improve our relationships, how we can grow the strengths we need inside ourselves, navigate conflict effectively, communicate more skillfully, and create a romantic relationship that's truly fulfilling. But we've spent actually very little time talking about how you can get into one of those fulfilling relationships in the first place. And that's what we're going to be focusing on today, how to maximize your chances of finding a fulfilling long-term relationship. We'll be talking about the key psychological skills that can help us do that, what to look for in a partner, green flags and red flags, managing early moments of conflict, and more. So to help me do that, I'm joined today, as usual, by Dr. Rick Hansen. Dad, how are you doing today? I'm good, and I'm thoroughly psyched about this topic. Yeah, it is squarely in your wheelhouse. This is like right in your sweet spot. So I think that today's going to be a really good one. Before we get into the episode, a few quick reminders. First, you can follow us on social media. I've linked all of our various profiles in the description of today's episode. Second, if you'd rather be watching the episode right now rather than listening to it, you can watch it on my YouTube channel. I've included a link to that as well. And then finally, if you'd like to support the podcast, we have a Patreon page. It's patreon.com slash beingwellpodcast. And for just a couple of dollars a month, you can support the show and you'll receive a bunch of bonuses in return. Things like transcripts of the episodes, expanded show notes, and ad-free versions of everything that we create. So, okay, to kind of frame our conversation here, what tends to really support people, big picture, in finding their long-term partner? What I've seen again and again is that it really boils down to three things. First, having a really clear intention that you actually do want to end up in a good long-term relationship. Second, basic psychological skills of many kinds how to manage issues, how to feel more confident in who you are, how to recognize certain tendencies in other people that are, as you said earlier, red flags or green flags. So we have the psychology, that's number two. And third, frankly, marketing. How in the world, especially for people who are not currently in a college dormitory, do you find a person who's really suited for you, particularly um, if as is ironically a kind of problem, if you yourself are kind of out toward the tail of the curve in terms of intelligence, education, self-awareness, depth of personal practice, sophistication, if you're kind of out there just factually without being arrogant about it, just factually, if you're kind of out there on the tail of the curve and you're looking for someone who also is out there on the tail of the curve, understandably, Well, those kind of people are fairly uncommon, and some of the better ones of them have been already snapped up. So Hmm. how do you reach out effectively to people who are really well-suited to you and then go through the process of sorting and sorting and sorting till you get to that person who's really right? I should add before we go further Hmm. that I speak from, and I think you do too for us, mainly our background, white heteronormative, heterosexual kind of relationships. That's the bulk of my own personal experience clinically. Although with some examples outside of that particular narrow framework, I've definitely had some experience as well that supports my notion that a lot of it boils down to these three things, clarity of intention, psychological skills, and effective marketing. Yeah, and to state the obvious, we're yep. both guys, yep. so we're naturally speaking from that perspective a little bit, yeah. but we will, of course, do our best yeah. to be conscious of our own biases as we have this conversation. I think it would be sort of helpful to go through each of these points that you just raised, intention, psychological skills, and good marketing, and kind of talk about what we're talking about when we say those words. I think that a lot of people, when they wander toward the idea of wanting to be in not just the dating pool, but really actively seeking a long-term partner, Mm. they would sort of say in response to that intention question, well, of course I have the intention to do this. I I want a partner. Like, isn't it obvious that I want a partner? Yeah. What does it kind of look like to not have a clear intention while also being in the dating pool? People who have a clear intention might 
still be a little nervous about intimacy and closeness and the vulnerability that comes with that. And maybe people getting older when they start thinking about moving into the more erotic and physical dimensions of a relationship, you know, they might have some little nervousness about it. But fundamentally, they're in the pool. They're not just standing outside of the pool, testing the waters with their toe, or even just standing on the first of the steps into the pool. They're in, they want it, they're clear about it. And based on that clarity, they're serious about it. And they do think about, okay, what can I do on my side of the street in terms of psychological skills? And also, what can I do on my side of the street on effective marketing? They're motivated. On the other hand, I've known people, I've had a number of people walk into my office and they say, gee, I'd really like to be in a relationship. And I go, that's great. I can see that you have a lot of appeal as a person. Your heart wants to give love. You're looking for someone to make that contribution to. Uh, Maybe previously you were in a long-term relationship, perhaps a marriage that ended, or maybe you've bounced around a little as a single person and it was okay, but now you're finally ready to settle down. What are you doing? What are you doing to make it work? Uh, Well, not really anything. Mm. Well, then I start to immediately question commitment. Mm, mm -hmm. And then another version of this is people who say, yeah, I want to be with someone, but no one's ever right. No one's ever quite right. Or clearly they're looking in the wrong part of the world for, or, you know, type of people that that are really a good match for them, that they really do want deep down inside. Or at some level, they're just, uh, they get close to connection and then boof, they sort of swerve on away. Mm. So that's what I've seen. And yeah, when, when people are really clear about their intention, this is one area where even though I'm mostly scientific in my orientation to things, you and Forrest are almost entirely that way. But that said, man, this is one area where I do think somehow the magic of clear intention Mm. can really manifest results. Yeah. And it's not to blame yourself for lack of clear intention because maybe there've been issues with psychology or marketing that have gotten in the way of your clear intention. And we'll speak Mm. about those. Mm -hmm. But clarity of intention can really, really make a big difference here. Yeah. No, I, I fully support everything that you're saying here for starters. And also maybe another version of this is to extend the metaphor of the pool or yeah. the large body of water, whatever you want. There are some people, I think, who are fishing, but they don't know what to do with the fish once they catch it. Okay. If that makes sense. Like yeah. you, you're you're fishing and you go there and you're like, I don't, I, it's like the dog that chases its own tail, right? They, yeah. they catch their tail and they just get so excited and they don't even know what to do with it. Yeah. So you can have these moments where you're like, well, my intention is to is to date or my intention is to find somebody I find appealing. But then you find somebody that you find appealing and you're kind of engaged in, in some interactions with them and it's feeling good. And you're like, ah, now I don't know what to do from here because I don't have a clear intention inside of myself of what I'm really looking for yeah. in terms of the nature of the relationship that I want. Mm. Am I just there to date or am I there to find a long-term partner? And I think that that's definitely something that plagues a lot of people. I've had that issue in the past personally. Mm -hmm. Moving on from there, psychological skills, we can talk about that a lot of different ways. The way that I kind of think about it is that there are a set of really key interpersonal, emotional, internal, psychological skills that tend to maximize our chances Mm -hmm. in a relational sense. And not only for finding a partner, but for frankly being the kind of person that somebody else wants to be with. Well, I want to really underline that point right there because when we're moving into trying to find, let's say, a long-term partner, that's what we're really talking about here. It's really useful to look at yourself realistically through the eyes of others, not erring on the side of being harshly self-critical or erring on the side of thinking that you're more attractive, more appealing, more of a catch, actually, really, than you are, looking at yourself realistically. Mm -hmm. And then based on that, asking yourself just objectively, are there things I can do that are realistic and within the frame of kind of who I am and what what I'm working with here, that actually could realistically make me more appealing, especially to the kind of person I'm interested in. Maybe that means really thinking about not smoking cigarettes anymore. 
maybe help yourself be less preoccupied with your divorce four years ago. Maybe help yourself be a little more settled in your being through mindfulness and other kinds of emotional intelligence. Not making yourself into some project and self-improvement that endlessly defers starting to date again, but being real, being smart. You are judging other people Mm -hmm. in a healthy sense. You are evaluating them. You are rating them in your own mind. Who's more appealing? Who's less appealing? Frankly, people are doing that to you. We're conditioned to talk about romance in very, hello, romantic ways. (laughs) You know, unconditional love. You see someone from across the room and wow, you just fall into each other's eyes and the magic happens. Even to an extent, some of the sort of spiritual dimensions that you were talking about earlier, the power of intention, you know, Mm. whatever it is, this is... This is very romantic language, and that language is really appealing. But the truth is that, again, particularly once you exit your late teens, early 20s, and you're no longer in that like prime, target-rich environment Mm -hmm. where it is a lot about who do you like partying with or hanging out with in a social environment or things like that, and things move toward a more functional kind of relationship where a relationship is a partnership in addition to being a romantic endeavor between two people. Yeah. The truth is that like real relationships are a series of exchanges. Yeah. We don't like to talk about them that way because it's very unsexy, but it's the truth. Like if you want to receive something from another person, of course you give something in return. And that's not intended as this overly mechanistic thing. It's just fair, right? It's just the way that the world works. So if there are very specific things that you're looking for from somebody else, you need to have something that that kind of person would want in return. And that's yeah. that's the whole game, right? That's the whole trick. And of course, we'll explore these various psychological skills in more detail a little bit later. But to kind of finish our roundup here, I want to move on to the marketing part. Sure. That's the one that I think I have kind of the least feel for, but I know that you're very excited to talk about. Yeah. Well, I gave a little bit of a summary about it. And right now we're just sort of summarizing these three, then we're going to dive into each one of them. It's a little startling to pierce through the bubble, as you say, about the magic that has a kind of passivity to it. You know, lightning strikes Mm -hmm. or it doesn't, and there's not much I can do about it. But no, guess what? And to use language uh, from sales, that might be off-putting initially, but I think is very objective and real. Think about the person you want to end up with, and probably they're pretty uncommon because you're an uncommon person yourself, Mm -hmm. and you want to be with someone who's a good match for you. All right, so think of a funnel. And at the top of the funnel, we have all the suspects, as it were. All the prospects, yeah. Yeah, yeah, suspects. We haven't even gotten to prospects yet. We're just kind of at a big pool. Oh, okay, So you think about, wow, if I'm looking for that person (laughs) who's one in 100, I need to be able to efficiently sort through 100 suspects to find 40 prospects to find 10 people that I'm willing to invest 45 minutes of having a cup of coffee with to find three people I'm willing to go out on a date with to find one person I'm actually willing to kiss. And then we take it from there potentially. So you think to yourself, how can I efficiently process dozens and dozens, hundreds of people and efficiently move through early encounters with the ones who have survived that initial filtering process to end up with someone that I really care about in ways that are not overly burdensome on me and actually might even feel kind of like fun along the way. Mm. Also, how can I present myself in my profile if I'm doing online dating or sure. I'm doing yeah. the first, you know, that those first impressions, the first three seconds, the first 30 seconds, the first three minutes with other people, how am I presenting to them in ways that are appealing? I've had a number of clients of mine show me their profiles on OKCupid or Match.com or whatever, and they're terrible. And then they wonder why they're not getting very many likes or pokes or winks or whatever. Yeah. So anyway, we'll talk more about that marketing part. That's great. Okay, so we've touched on each of them. Now we're going to take some time to kind of go through them in a slightly more detailed fashion. Yeah. Starting with intention, I think that this is the one that we've actually already covered 
the most deeply. Yeah. Is there anything else that you want to clarify or add about what people can do inside of themselves yeah. to get to that feeling of having a really clear intention? Yeah. Processes they can go through, thoughts they can play with, whatever it might be. You bet. The result you're aiming for is this feeling in your bones that you really are all in. Hmm. Of course, knowing that you're all in means that you will still reserve your judgment. You're not going to end up with someone who doesn't feel right to you. You're not going to let other people talk you into something that doesn't feel right to you. So those aspects of good judgment and self-regulation and reserving your rights are still present when you're all in. So how to become all in? Maybe if you have some reservations. One, you can do a little writing if you want, or just do it in your mind. If you feel like you're not all in, just start writing out. My doubts about getting in a, in a relationship are, mm. or my reservations about being in a relationship are, and just repeatedly complete that sentence. Mm. For example, my reservation about getting in a relationship is, I might get my heart broken again, because mm. that's what happened last time. Yeah. Or my reservation about being in a relationship is that I keep choosing the wrong person and I feel helpless about that for example. Or it might be my reservation about getting into a good relationship is that I don't feel I deserve it. I feel there's something wrong with me, that I'm tainted, I'm stained. Maybe because I was molested when I was a kid. There's something that's wrong with me, even though, of course, it's not your fault at all. So maybe those are reservations. So surface the reservations and then on your own or maybe with a friend or even a counselor, see if you can kind of walk through those reservations concretely. That's a really useful thing to do. Another thing to do is draws upon a kind of meditative practice I learned a long time ago, and I'm going to present it here. And if you want, you can make this more or less religious if you want. It's the basic idea that you know something you want to have in your life, and then you, you work back and forth between two phases or two ways of relating to that thing. You begin with releasing obstructions. Mm. So let's say you want to be with a good partner. What you would do is to imagine or visualize that person, including some of their qualities, and then just kind of in a very open way, surface what's between you and that. The obstructions either within you or even in the outer world that are between you and that person. And as you surface these obstructions in this first phase, you release them. Now, one way to release them is that you give them out to the universe, or potentially you release them into, if it's meaningful to you, the mystery, the ultimate, the divine, perhaps. You mm. Give them over to God. Just release, release, release. And you can feel this release in your body. You can see it in your imagination. And then at some point, it feels right to make a shift to the second phase where you are receiving from the universe, maybe even from the divine, what it is that your heart is longing for. Mm. And you can get this feeling of this person coming in, you're in effect calling in the one to use that kind of language. In the process of receiving in the second phase, sometimes you'll bump up against some obstructions, including maybe an internal resistance to it. Mm. So then you shift over to the releasing uh, phase. The first one may be timed with exhalations to kind of work through that obstruction. And then when it feels like there's a clearing, ba-boom, shift back into receiving. This simple meditation, which can take three minutes or 13 minutes, is weirdly powerful. And I've known a number of people who've played around with it. And wow, you know, the next thing they know, they're getting engaged to be married. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't mean to toot your horn here, Dad, but we've recorded whatever it is, 200 of these episodes or something at this point. I don't think I've actually ever heard you share this specific process outlined That's correct. in like that granular a way. And I just have to say that not only is that great for intention setting around a relationship, but that is a really fundamental, practical approach for anything you see in your life that you view as a quote-unquote limiting belief yep. or any conception that you have about a future endeavor. And you find that when you begin to 
encounter the reality of the thing that you're going to be doing, all of this stuff tends to bubble up in the cosmology of the mind from like the subconscious or the unconscious. And you realize that you're holding on to all these views of yourself or views of the world that are impacting your behavior in profound ways that you're not necessarily consciously aware of. And this is a great way to not only surface those beliefs, but to address them when you do. And it's just like such a powerful technique, I think, for a lot of the challenges that people face in general. Well, I'm glad. I really am glad. Yeah. I've used that meditation myself, and it's been shockingly powerful. Shocking in a good way. Absolutely. And I think around this, this intention question, a lot of it does come down to profound clarity inside of yourself of what you're actually looking for. What do you truly want to get out of this date if you're going on a date? What do you truly want to get out of this profile if you're creating an online profile? Whatever it is, like, what are you doing this for? And a lot of people, they, I I forget where I encountered this term first, but there's this idea of sliding. Mm. They just kind of slide. They they sort of create a profile and then some people kind of match with them and one thing leads to another and they're kind of on a date, but Mm -hmm. they don't really actually know like why they're there or how they got there. Just kind of one thing led to another. And we can apply this, of course, to so many different arenas in our lives. Finding a new job. Yeah, finding a new job, you know, uh, having the progression of a relationship happen where one day you wake up and you're living together and you're just like, wait, did I ever actively choose this? Or did this just kind of happen to me? Yeah. But I think that this is a place where it's very, very relevant. Yeah, that's great. And What a person can do when they do have this embodied clarity of intention, they know what it feels like, Mm. then they can give themselves over to it. Mm. They can be aligned with that intention and in effect, let that intention pull them forward into finding a life partner that they're interested in. And on a practical basis, if you're going out for coffee, that first time you're meeting someone face-to-face, ground in that intention. Get a feeling of it. Take the 10 seconds, the three breaths to kind of get settled into it again before you walk into Starbucks or wherever you're going to go. Yeah. That kind of thing. Okay, good. Love it. All right. Should we talk about psychology skills? Yeah, I would love to focus on some of those key psychological skills. Uh, This might take a little while. We're probably going to spend some time here. What do you think are some of the really particularly important tools? Because we talk about tools all the time on the podcast of different kinds. We've probably covered a thousand different psychological tools at different moments in the episodes. If you could boil those down to a couple of them, what do you think are the ones that are really essential when somebody's entering the dating arena? One huge one is a sense of healthy Mm self-worth so that you feel in your bones realistically confident when you're dealing with other people. This is important for all kinds of reasons. For one, When we feel like a worthy partner, other people start seeing us as a worthy partner, Mm -hmm. for example. So that, I think, is really, really helpful. And with that self-confidence, in that self-confidence, is a way of handling rejection. Because factually, just like you're going to meet, let's say, you or someone who's looking to meet a life partner, you are going to meet a lot of different people who are perfectly fine people, but they're just not your cup of tea whatever it might be, you could just feel it already. The chemistry is not right. It's not exactly someone you're looking for. They've got maybe some political views or some religious qualities or whatever it might be, or a certain kind of situation they're dealing with that you just don't really want to take on board. You know, a couple of troubled teenagers, you know, with stepkids. Okay, for whatever reason, flip it around. They're going to see you that way too. And part of this healthy self-worth is able to interpret rejection as doing you a big favor. Mm. Because someone who fairly early on does not recognize, does not feel you are valuable to them, Mm. if they're not drawn to you, Mm -hmm. if there isn't uh, some kind of basic attraction there as well, they're not a qualified prospect, Mm -hmm. to use the language of marketing. And letting you know early on that you're not their cup of tea helps you. Because immediately you think of it, okay, DQ'd, mm-hmm. you are disqualified. And I kind of actually imagine this funny <laughs> button, like in an old James Bond film where James is driving along and the villain is sitting in the passenger seat with a gun that pointed to James. And James just kind of idly touches a switch, you know, a radio knob on the dashboard and boom, 
boom. The ejection <laughs> seat happens. The, the whole thing out seat. the back of the Boy, car. I'm out yeah, there. totally. Boom. See you later, villain. <laughs> <laughs> In some ways, DQ'd. Not out of hatred, yeah. not out of hostility. Just, ah, hey, if you're not into me, mm-hmm. you know, I wish you were, but oh, well, you're not qualified to be my life partner. This is going to get to something that we're going to spend a little bit more time on later when we talk about things to look for, green flags, red flags, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think that maybe the most essential quality in a prospective partner is that they really like you. Yep. Absolutely. And it's it's such an obvious thing to say. Yeah. But at the same time, I feel like we miss it all the time. Yeah. And people end up in these relationships or these interactions with another person and they're constantly questioning whether or not that other person actually likes them. I mean, I've I've had some relationships. They were not long-term relationships largely for this reason, but some relationships where I was really wondering. We were six months in and I was just kind of like, it, it, wait, does this person not only like love me? Of course, we're, we might be a little early for that, but do they like me at all? Yeah. I, I don't really get the sense from them that they really want to be spending time with me. It feels like they're half in, half out of the pool. Yeah. So yeah, I just think that that's such an important thing to highlight here. Great. Here's another one. Great. Being aware of your selection biases. Mm. And very often Mm. what I see Mm. is that the issue in a relationship is a matter of selection. Mm -hmm. Because totally, even with the best repair skills in the world, the best process skills in the world, which we're going to get to next, still you're working with what you're working with on the other side of the table. And... So be clear about who you're choosing. I think Lori Gottlieb has mm-hmm. um, some yep. kind of a line along the lines of, uh, you know, we marry our unfinished business. Yeah. Or we yep. we often or we can. So be careful. Don't marry your unfinished business <laughs> with your own parents. <laughs> yeah. And if, totally. you, if you have a history, understandably, of having been sort of rejected by a certain kind of a parent, or you have a history in which you're trying to get blood from a particular stone, that can lead you into a kind of recurring quest Mm. in which you're trying to finally get it right with that sort of person who was your dad or your mom, let's say, when you were young. But guess what? That kind of person is probably never going to be someone you really can repair with. Yeah. Because they're that kind of person. (laughs) It's not... Well-selected. So self-awareness and self-understanding in this area is really useful. And one of the main keys to look at is your history. Yeah. If you have this recurring pattern, same script, different actors, but it's the same script, episode after episode after episode, that's, you know, something for you to look at because you're the common factor in all of those episodes. Yeah, absolutely. This is, so the big psychological idea here is called the repetition compulsion and it finds its origins in Freud. A lot of people have taken this a lot of different directions, but it's just exactly what you're saying, that we tend to return, we have these cycles of return in our lives. Mm. And we often return to people who are not great for us for a variety of different reasons. Yeah. One way that this can show up is that people often have in their head an idea of the kind of person that they want to be with. A lot of this is very archetypal and it is often also very presentational. Mm. As somebody who looks a certain kind of way, somebody who is interested in certain kinds of things. But the truth is that that idea often actually gets in the way of our ability to find the right person because the things that you want in practice are often radically different from the things that you want in theory. Mm. It's kind of that like catch a fish thing that I was talking about earlier. You catch a fish and you just have no idea what to do with it when you're actually there because it turns out that the kind of sexy archetype that you've constructed in your mind really falls flat in the reality of day-to-day life of like doing the dishes in the apartment with this other person. Mm. And the only way to truly identify what we like in practice rather than in theory is by trying different things out. And I I distinctly had that experience dating Elizabeth, my current partner, who was radically different from most of the other people that I'd ever got on a date with in my life. Um, And so it's kind of one of those things where often you you don't know what you actually want until you experiment a little bit. Yeah, that's really sweet. Mm -hmm. That's great. Third major category. I think of it as process skills, communication skills, repair skills, Mm, with two mm -hmm. major aspects that I'm going to put under the headline of deep receiving 
of other people. Mm. Can you do that on the one hand, deep perceiving? The other, can you skillfully assert yourself mm. on the other side of it? And so think about skills related to, can you really listen? Can you pause and slow it down with another person? Can you feel the being behind the eyes? Can you have empathy? Can you not get rattled or triggered or off track based on some passing thing they say? Do you give them the feeling that you're really present with them? That seems so simple, but actually many, many people have a hard time sustaining a quality of receptive presence for more than a minute in a row. That's on the one side. Can you uh, have acceptance and spaciousness and tolerance for different kinds of people? Flip the other way, if it's appropriate, can you assert yourself appropriately? In little ways, by assert, I don't just mean, you know, argue back or stand up for yourself or be tough, things like that. Although if you have to do that, you can do that. But you can offer your own view about something. Or you can say that you disagree with somebody about something. Can you do that effectively and appropriately in skillful kinds of ways? And there I want to say there's a really interesting test, which is that when we're interacting at that initial back and forth via email, maybe when we're meeting people that way, online perhaps, or we somehow find ourselves in that initial coffee or even maybe a more formal date, we're watching how other people respond to us. And if they say X and then you say, well, that's interesting. X is just not so true for me, actually. And I believe in Y and I value Z. Then you watch what that other person does. Can they handle you being your real you? Mm -hmm. Can they handle you being strong? Mm -hmm. Can you, they handle you, you know, sitting in your power, as it were. And if they can, that's a good test passed. If they can't handle you being strong and centered and self-respecting and clear, DQ, mm. they're disqualified for a long-term relationship. To highlight one particular aspect of that, something that I've always found just very appealing in other people, not even on a romantic level, just on an interpersonal level, is the ability to investigate an idea in personally. So talking about sort of what you're saying there to maybe twist this a certain kind of way. So you have that moment where you communicate, oh, that's a really interesting idea. Here's what I think about it. Mm. I We don't quite agree on this. Here's why we don't quite agree on this. Huh, it's a really interesting idea. In that, I didn't say, wow, you, this idea is dumb. Here's what I think. Mm. And hopefully, likewise, they don't respond with extreme defensiveness about the idea. They're open to investigating the idea too, because one of the most important things to do consistently in a relationship is to find out what's true. Yeah. What actually happened, the real nature of your interactions, was somebody late or was somebody not actually late, whatever it is. Like fact finding is an important thing to be able to do as a partnership. What are our patterns when we talk to each other? So if you find somebody who's not able to fact find without mm. it becoming intensely personal, that is also a kind of red flag, I think. Oh boy, that's so good for us. As somebody who's really struggled with skin issues like acne over the course of my life, I know just how great it is to not stress about what's going on with your skin. That's why I'm excited to tell you about today's sponsor, OneSkin. Their products make it easy to keep your skin healthy while looking and feeling your best. No complicated routine, no multi-step protocols, just simple, scientifically validated solutions. The secret is OneSkin's proprietary OS01 peptide. It's the first ingredient proven to work with the aging cells that cause lines, wrinkles, and thinning skin. And as somebody who's used plenty of complicated routines in the past, I love the simplicity of using their OS01 face topical peptide. Just cleanse, pat your skin dry, and apply it twice daily. Get started today with 15% off using code BEINGWELL at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code BEINGWELL. After your purchase, they'll ask you where you came from and please support the show and tell them that we sent you. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you do if you had an extra hour in your day? We're all looking for more time, but time for what? 
It's easy to waste time doing the things that don't really matter, and it can sometimes feel like we never have time for what does. Learning what we really value and making it a priority in our lives is something therapy can help us with. As you probably already know, I'm a huge believer in the power of therapy, and working with a therapist has made a huge difference in my life. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash BeingWell today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash BeingWell. If you're like me, you've probably started to pay closer attention to your long-term health as you've aged. Turning 35 was a bit of a wake-up call for me, and I'm always looking for good sources of information, because it's often really difficult to separate fact from fiction when it comes to our physical health. We had Dr. Tim Spector on the podcast a few years ago. He's a professor of genetic epidemiology and the scientific co-founder at Zoe. And the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is truly one of the best resources out there when it comes to this stuff. With the help of world-leading scientists, they help you make smarter health choices every week. And you don't have to just take my word for it. Avid podcast fan Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others transforming their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Well, I'll throw in my own personal fourth headline. Yeah, go ahead. Mm -hmm. uh, Psychological skill, which is, can you see the best in the other person? Can you find Mm -hmm. the best? in the other person? And can you draw out the best in them? Mm. This is really deep and kind of soulful, right? It's it's that when you look at this other person who may not fit your pictures as a typical mate for you, but still when you're with them, can you recognize their good heart? Can you see their special quirky, cute qualities? And then can you be a receptive person who's seeing the good in them, who can draw that out of them. Because thinking about it, that other person is probably nervous too when you're together. And they're maybe not showing up as their best self. Maybe they're mm. kind of triggered, they're getting defended. You know, they're, they're drawing on their go-tos that are maybe not most appealing, like intellect, or they want to talk about their computer all the time because that's kind of how they feel comfortable. Well, if you can find the best in them, and then draw out the best in them, then you're going to get a better read about whether that other person is a good qualified potential partner for you. And when they're sitting in their best, they're going to tend to draw from you your own best in a way that's really harmonious. On the other hand, as a test, it's another test. When you're with someone and you can recognize good qualities in them that you are trying to pull for, But then if in reasonable ways, you're opening the door to that, you're asking follow-up questions, you're trying to see if this person can step into an openness with you in which they're joining with you and moving toward you rather than backing away from you. Mm. When you make those invitations for greater depth from this other person Mm. and they balk or bolt, because that's just too uncomfortable for them to do right there. That's a test. And they're probably not so qualified as a potential life partner. Mm, I totally love that. I think it's so fundamental. That's one of those things that my personal view is that you tend to discover that a little bit as time goes on with Mm -hmm. somebody else. But I do think that you can get some early indications about it in terms of the the ability that you might have to be compatible in terms of pulling out the other person's best nature. Yeah. You know, seeing the parts of them that in relationship come to the front that are these really beautiful, like heartfelt, wonderful parts. Yeah. And that is a very, very special thing, of course, when you can find it with another person. I want to kind of toss a psychological skill out here, if that's all right, Dad. I've, I've got one I've been thinking about. 
Great. Yeah. I want to know if you got somewhere on your list. Yeah. 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 Mine has to do with this dynamic between anxiety and avoidance. And it came to mind because you mentioned they're probably anxious in the interaction too. Mm -hmm. If you can think of anxiety and avoidance as being kind of a spectrum, although, you know, it gets a little bit more complicated than that. But I tend a little bit more toward anxiety, as I've talked about on the Mm -hmm. podcast in the past. And other people might tend a little bit more toward ambivalence or avoidance. They like to distance themselves from other people when Mm -hmm. they get intimate. Versus me, I tend to get anxious when I am in an environment that like could be intimate or emotionally intimate with another person. Mm. And I have this funny story that I I would like to tell about this that's rather self-disclosing, but okay. I was living in San Francisco. I was in my mid-20s, I think, or like mid to late 20s. And I, at the time, was going on a fair few online dates or app dates, things like that. I was single. I was Uh. trying to find somebody else. It's just sort of what you did. And there was this one date that I went on with this person that for whatever reason, I was just extremely anxious about it going well. They they seemed really lovely. I had a really fun time talking with them. They were very physically attractive. Like there were all of these things that were kind of adding up to me being a little anxious on top of my already anxious personality. And we go to the place, we go to the restaurant, we're, we're sitting down, we're having dinner. And Somewhere in there, God, this is so embarrassing, but okay. Uh, somewhere in there early on in the conversation, I used the phrase say la vie for whatever reason. I don't know why. I just used the phrase say la vie. They, you know, we keep going with the conversation. And then something else happened. And for whatever reason, I used the phrase say la vie again. And I swear to God, I used that phrase probably like six times in 90 minutes. <laughs> and I never, like, I don't normally use that phrase a lot, to be honest. That's right. Just for whatever yeah. reason, it just popped into my brain and I, like, couldn't stop saying it. And it made me feel more and more anxious the more that I used it. <laughs> and it just created this total downward spiral where by the end of it, she literally made a comment about it. She was like, is that like a phrase you use a lot? And I was just like, I, I don't know. It's just, I don't know why this is happening. It's just happening right now. Uh, we did not go on a second date to the shock of no one. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, did you ask her? I, I, I forget. I honestly forget. I, I okay. probably reached out and she probably didn't respond. Understandably, yeah. I was not my best self. <laughs> but that's that's kind of the point, right? Yeah. Where we have these personal tendencies. And I think that being aware of your personal tendency is really, really important. Yeah. Not just so that you don't say the phrase say la vie six times in the first 90 minutes of your first date with somebody else, which is like, you know, not the best move ever. But just so you can be conscious of your overall patterns and tendencies when you get in the room with somebody else. Mm-hmm. So for me, it really helped to do that kind of soothing exercises or those kinds of soothing exercises of various kinds Mm -hmm. where I really settle myself down. I rest in that sense of purpose. I do my mantras about being a valuable and worthy person, you know, whatever does it for me. Whereas somebody who's more ambivalent or has a more ambivalent tendency, maybe it's helpful for them to have a different kind of orientation, one where they really give themselves the pep talk. Okay, it's all right to be close to somebody else. You're not going to get hurt. Your environment is safe. This other person won't punish you for it. Lean in, ask questions, whatever. Because a lot of the time, those anxiety or ambivalence patterns that we have are the things that make us unappealing to other people. Really good. Yeah, because they can be just such like a clear and dynamic part of our personality. Yeah, I think of them as shutting down these these three aspects that I think really kind of bottom line it, which is Mm. think of it like this, okay, you're meeting someone and that person seems basically happy. Their heart is open. There's warmth coming from them towards you. And clearly, they see things that are good about you. Mm. How do you feel about that person? Check, check, check. You're probably pretty drawn to that person. Flip it around yourself as maybe my last offering for a psychological skill. It's can you find and rest in a feeling of basic happiness, basic well-being. Second, can you have a warm heart? And third, can you recognize the good in the other person Mm, and mm -hmm. just sort of rest? This is a zone of sorts to rest in Mm. when meeting and interacting with new people. And I think it's a great refuge, frankly, because if all you have to do is to be your basically 
you know, pleased with life, work in progress self, who has a warm heart and can really recognize good in others, that's all you got to do. That's really great. And then you can kind of see what happens. If you're really being that way, and the other person is sort of a schmo, or they keep distancing from you, or they seem to be trying to play some kind of game rather than dropping down and being real and genuine and vulnerable and open themselves, mm-hmm. boop, boop, that tells you a lot about them right there. Yeah, totally. I'm going to offer one more psychological skill. We could do this literally all day, but I just want to keep the list. We'll finish on this one. It's really, really quick. Uh, It's something that I've seen over and over again. I've seen it in myself. I've seen it in my friend group. Not letting the perfect be the enemy of the good. And I think that this is Mm. way up there on the list of fundamental mistakes that people make when searching for a relationship. Yeah. It's great to have a laundry list of qualities you would like to see in the person that you end up with. Mm. But the truth is that you're not a perfect person and they're not a perfect person either. There are no perfect people. To kind of paraphrase Stan Tatkin here, there's just the people who are right for you. There's no perfect person. There's just the relationship that's right for you. And I've definitely had moments in the past where I've really gotten caught up in looking for a very particular kind of thing Mm. in the person that I ended up with or in the people that I chose to date. And the more that I relaxed about that and opened up to possibility, as opposed to this very narrow view of what was right, the more success I had and the happier I was. Beautiful. Really well said. Well, thank you. Okay, so I think that that's plenty of time spent on psychological skills in addition to all the other time that we spend on the podcast talking about psychological skills. So I want to focus on this marketing bit for a second, Dad, which I know is kind of like a a favorite topic of yours. (laughs) And you sort of highlighted earlier how most people, many people, I mean, often myself included at various moments in time, are not really great at presenting themselves in an appealing way. And I was wondering if you could kind of talk a little bit more about that in terms of what you mean by good marketing. Yeah, the reason I use that word marketing is Mm -hmm. partly it's provocative. Mm -hmm. And it also tends to drop us into the reality that unless we're very fortunate and somebody just stumbles into our world and lightning strikes and that's great, or we have a friend who says they have a friend and we meet them in a blind date and wow, you know, wedding bells a year later. Mm-hmm. Absent that, what we're left with is doing what we can to filter out a whole bunch of prospects and suspects to start to identify some real candidates and then move forward with those real candidates in a direct way. Mm-hmm. It's just part of life. So a metaphor I use for it is to think about the ladder of commitment, Mm. okay? Let's say that the ladder has 10 rungs and the 10th rung is wedding bells and you're walking back down the aisle, okay? Or some form of enduring commitment to that other person. Mm -hmm. Well, there are a bunch of rungs along the way and it's really helpful to appreciate that it's a process and you decide at each stage whether you want to go to the next rung with that particular person. So think about moving up those various rungs of the ladder. Let's say the very first rung is having an expression of interest that that you make with another person. And I'm going to use the kind of framework of online dating just for simplicity. We could have this be more face-to-face as well. You know, in ordinary situations, like there's a new colleague at work and, you know, there's an expression of interest. So you are now responding favorably to an expression of interest, maybe because you initially expressed interest and they responded favorably to you. Let's say that's the first rung of the ladder, right? And then you decide, well, what are we going to do about this? So maybe the second rung of the ladder is you're having some, you're some writing back and forth or texting back and forth. You're not even doing something face-to-face yet. That's just the second rung of the ladder. And from there, you decide whether to go to the next rung, some kind of face-to-face meeting. Maybe it's on Zoom. Maybe it's in person. You're getting coffee. It's low key. You're getting a drink after work. Something is happening. That's the third rung of the ladder. And then there's kind of a big transition right there, whether you decide to accept an invitation for a, a date, date, something explicitly romantic, or make that invitation yourself. And Certainly in these rungs, 
is the possibility of a lot of friendship that's developing. And I know you've got some good things to say about this forest before it starts to move even into the possibility of we're going in a potentially romantic direction. Mm-hmm. But I just kind of want to acknowledge a lot of friendship kind of things can occur before you start moving on the ladder of romance, if you will. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then keep on going with the metaphor. You decide whether to go out on a real date. And after that, there's another major decision. Are you willing to go on the second date and start moving into something maybe that's more physical? Holding hands, early forms of physical contact, maybe going on a, you know, giving each other a kiss. And then there's another rung that starts moving up from there, whether you decide to get more sexual with that particular person. And then there's some rungs from there, typically moving toward, are you going to live together? And then from there, moving toward commitment to marriage or the equivalent, and then marriage itself. So you can see the kind of larger picture here. I find that metaphor is really helpful because it helps you realize that it's a multi-step process. Mm. And at each stage, each rung of the ladder, you're going to lose some people. Yeah, And at different rungs of the ladder, other people are going to lose you potentially. Like much as you have the right to select and deselect prospects, they have the right to select and deselect you. Mm -hmm. So that's the overall framework then. Then you think about what helps people be effective at each step of the way. All right, Forrest, what do you think about my kind of structural way of approaching the sacred romantic territory of finding your life partner? Oh, yeah. No, we're really... We've really probably lost some people with the with the mechanism of the whole thing, but I think that it's totally right on, and I think that it's just the the reality of the situation. Part of what's inherent in what you're saying here, as you mentioned when we first talked about this idea of marketing and identifying suspects that lead to prospects and all of that, yeah, is that you need man. This metaphor is getting even more painful the the more that we torture it. You 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 need you need wheat for the to separate the wheat from the chaff, you know. Yeah. And what's involved in that is a lot of wheat. Yeah, <laughs> you know? so a lot of chaff. To, a lot of chaff. A lot of chaff. A lot of chaff. That's okay, right. great. Either way, a, a lot of raw material yeah. that goes through the thresher. I've yeah, never worked on a farm, obviously. Right. Okay. Anyways, anyways, come on, Forrest, get with it, man. Your your grandfather was a harvester. You know, they had ranch in North Dakota. Yeah, the whole thing. I know, I know, I know. I'm I'm shaming my my ancient heritage (laughs) here. But anyways, anyways, (laughs) a lot of this is about identifying environments that have higher densities of people that you'd find appealing. Yep, target rich environment. Target rich environments. We talk about this all the time. I had a famous, or calling it famous is a little self aggrandizing, but you know what I mean. I, I had a phrase that's kind of an apocryphal phrase in our family where I was talking about somebody else, and I said. Yeah, it just feels like they're trying to fish in the parking lot all the time. They're just casting their line over and over again, but they're casting it onto ground that is never going to find a fish for them. That's right. And now, of course, a lot of this has changed with the rise of online dating and things like that, where there are so many prospects sometimes Mm -hmm. that the challenge is not finding a prospect, it's going through all of the potential prospects and you yourself standing out from those many millions of potential matches that somebody else has. But if we think about this in kind of a more traditional setup, if you're in college, you are naturally surrounded by enormous like numbers of people who are potential prospects for you. Yeah. But as we age, that number of potential prospects gets smaller and smaller and smaller. So it becomes more and more important to identify environments that have more of those kinds of people Mm -hmm. than other environments. Um, I have a lot of friends who are in their mid-ish 20s who are engaging this question, and I dance as a serious hobby. And a lot of them started dancing because one of their primary objectives with it was like, hey, maybe I can find somebody who I really like. And then it turned out that they really liked dancing and finding the partner became the secondary pursuit. But things like that, like what's a hobby that has people in it that you'd like? What's a environment that has people in it who are the kinds of people you see yourself liking? And you can go through a very deliberate process of that. And of course, you want to be a little bit thoughtful about entering what's supposed to be a very platonic environment with some other objective, you know, like be careful about that. But I think that it's just a natural thing that people do. So it can be helpful to be real about it. Huh, that's really good. You know, when I think about marketing, that term could be misunderstood. One small part of it is about how we present ourselves. 
genuinely and authentically, but, you know, highlighting was positive there. Further, though, for me, marketing is this larger process of filtering through all kinds of prospects to end up with someone who is really appealing to you and moving through that process efficiently and with as little wear and tear and friction and cost along the way. I know a lot of people who say who are in the singles market, thus marketing, and they talk about how horrible it is. They just hate it. They don't like doing it. It's not fun. And I'm just thinking, hmm, now maybe this is a particularly, in my case, male perspective, but what could you do to make it more fun for you and a lot more efficient? Well, maybe the truth is you don't need to invest a 45-minute encounter with people to decide whether to move forward. You could do a quick conversation with them on the phone or you know, using Zoom or something so you can see them and fairly quickly clarify, do you even want to move further, right? So you can make it more efficient along the way. Anyway, that's an aspect of marketing. All that said, I do want to talk about presentation now because I've seen a lot of people who totally shoot themselves in the foot intentionally, unconsciously, or unintentionally in the way they present themselves. I had a client of mine, I was male, who was looking for a partner, early 30s, very cool, artistic kind of person, very creative. And his profile picture was a shadowy picture of him w- with a hoodie. And for, he looked like the Unabomber. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I said, dude, you're crazy. You're just not going to attract. He said, oh, I want to attract a certain kind of a woman. Well, gee, how's that working for you? <laughs> well, over for 100 at this point. So, you know, think about how you present yourself and think about being clear in the profile right about what you're looking for. I've known a number of people who are kind of wishy-washy in what they wrote about what they're looking for. So they ended up having to waste a lot of time with people who just weren't really right for them. I think it's really okay to be straightforward, straightforward about your capabilities, straightforward about who you're looking for. If that turns people off, well, DQ. They've revealed right there that they're not an appropriate person for you. Mm. Yeah, and connecting to that, so much of the, because tastes vary aesthetically, so I I wanna kind of stay away from some of the more presentational aspects, at least in terms of how I talk about it. But what you're really speaking to is authenticity being open about what you're looking for, being open about who you are. Of course, we reveal aspects of ourselves to another person as time goes on. There are things that, you know, are more of a third date conversation than a a first conversation through Tinder conversation. But nonetheless, I think that if you spend a lot of time constructing a version of yourself that is not the real version of yourself, and you essentially sell that not real version of yourself to another person because you're concerned about what's going to happen when they discover the real version of you, you are doomed to failure. Like you are doomed to failure because they're they're eventually going to find out. People aren't stupid most of the time. Uh, It's certainly not about this kind of stuff. And uh, you will eventually cross the Rubicon of revealing yourself to the other person in a full and complete way, at least if you have a emotionally open and happy partnership, which I wish for all of our listeners, of course, and might as well save yourself some time. That's right. It's an uncomfortable process, but it's really the way to go in terms of maximizing your odds for success. Yeah. A concrete example, the photo of yourself Mm, or pictures mm -hmm. of yourself you post. If they're taken 15 years ago, what's the point of using that as a picture? Because inevitably that person's going to be with you uh, and they're going to go, oh, you are deceptive and you're instantly revealed. Yeah. Lying about your age, that's another thing too. Yeah. It becomes increasingly clear. And you know, if you end up yourself dating someone who lied about their age and or was deceptive and otherwise, you might kind of sort of seriously doubt that person. Yeah, as well you should. Yeah, what else are they willing to be deceptive about down the road when you're living together or on the road to marriage? So, you know, being honest along the way, I think is really useful. Awesome. Well, maybe I can kind of sum it up a little bit with the uh, classic saying, you know, trust in God, but tie your camel. In other words, (laughs) there really is this combination around finding a partner or deepening good relationships with other people that involves both the machinery 
and the magic. Mm. Marketing is kind of the machinery. Yeah. You work it through, you grind it, you're doing it, you're tying your camel. But along the way, there is magic. There is opportunity. There is lightning that strikes. There is a glance across the room with another person. Mm. Things kind of happen. They're serendipitous. Friends introduce you. Suddenly, someone who's been in your life as a friend, maybe, for 10 years, you start seeing them in a new way Mm -hmm. because there's Mm -hmm. an opening in you for that kind of person after all these years. Mm -hmm. So that would be my kind of summation, even though we spent a fair amount of time talking about the machinery of it all, including some of the interpersonal mechanisms. There's always this dimension of magic when we're moving forward toward a partner. I love that. I think it's a great bow to tie on this part of the conversation. You'll notice I said this part there. In classic being well fashion, (laughs) we have run a little long talking about some of these subjects because they are so near and dear to both of us, particularly to Rick, who spent a large chunk of his 35 years counseling people talking about these kinds of relationship-driven issues with them. So this is going to be part one, basically, of what's going to end up being kind of a two-parter where we're talking about the dating side of the long-term relationships that we've explored so frequently on the podcast. In this part, we talked about Rick's three-point plan of intention, growing the psychological skills, and then dealing with all of the marketing aspects In our next part, we're going to be talking about green flags and red flags, how to handle rejection, how to handle some of the early conflicts that you might engage with with another person, and I'm sure plenty else besides. So today we had a great time talking about how to get into a fulfilling long-term relationship. We structured today's episode around Rick's three-point plan for what tends to really support people in finding their long-term partner. It's best to start with a clear intention. When you know what you're looking for from the interactions that you have with somebody else, when you know what you're trying to get out of the dating arena, you're much more likely to find success there. And hey, maybe there's even something a little magical that can accompany having a clear intention as well. Then there are key psychological skills that tend to both increase our chances of finding success in the dating space and also key skills that tend to make us a little bit more appealing to other people. Then finally, good marketing. And the way that Rick talked about marketing is not really so much the presentational aspects of dating, although of course that matters a lot as well, but really how to think about the process of it. One of the key things that you're doing while dating is you're trying to separate the wheat from the chaff. And in order to do that, you need a lot of chaff to work with. So you can really think about it as the sort of funnel where you have suspects at the top of it, going to prospects at the next layer, all the way down to the person that you ultimately end up with. And the truth is that you're probably not going to go on one date and find the love of your life. So you need to be open to the idea of it being a real process. Now, most people have one or two of those things. They have a clear intention or they've developed some psychological skills, but it's pretty rare to have all three of them. We then spend some time talking about what a person can do to form a clear intention. And Rick gave this absolutely fantastic practice that allows people to tap into the feeling of essentially the limiting beliefs that they might be carrying around that can be holding them back from really achieving success in their relationships. Maybe you have a sense of yourself as being unworthy in some way, of being not deserving of love. Maybe you have fears about what happened to you in the past in your relationships. These fears are often a little bit subconscious. These beliefs about ourselves are often a little bit subconscious, but they can influence our behavior in a wide variety of powerful ways. So you can go through an active process of trying to contact that material, seeing it rise in the mind, taking a couple of deep breaths around it, and then contesting those beliefs in a variety of different ways. Then we talked about some of the key psychological skills that tend to really benefit people in finding a fulfilling relationship. We talked about a lot of them. I'm not going to repeat all of them here. But a few ones that really stuck out to me included Rick talking about feeling worthy and finding the space between aggrandizing narcissism 
and crippling self-doubt. That happy middle place where you know your own worth and you're willing to stick up for yourself. Then we talked about being open to something new. One way to think about this is alongside the psychological theory of the repetition compulsion, how we have these cycles of return in our lives where we tend to go back to people who maybe aren't so healthy for us over and over again. And then identifying what we can do practically to break those cycles, how we can look for something new and be open to different kinds of possibility. Then we talked about the whole suite of communication skills that tend to lead to people being effective inside of their relationships. I think a huge part of this comes down to the ability to listen actively and ask great questions. Speaking personally for a second, my partner Elizabeth is a remarkably good question asker. It's why she's probably going to end up being a great therapist. And I remember having such a distinct experience coming out of the first couple of dates with her where I went, wow, this person is just very interested. And there was a something about that that I found really appealing. Then we talked a bit at the end about marketing, about coming to terms with the kind of mechanical process that can accompany finding the love of your life. It's not the sexy stuff, but it's just the reality of the situation. And the truth is that not only are most people not really great at presenting themselves, so hey, it can help to get the eye of a uh, loving and supportive friend if you're creating an online dating profile, but also people often aren't open to the mechanistic parts of the dating process. If you're looking for that diamond at the bottom of the haystack, well, you got to go through a lot of hay first. And the reality is that one of the things that can really support a person isn't identifying some of the environments that have higher densities of people that they're more likely to end up attracted to. Finally, we closed with authenticity, being comfortable in your own skin and being real with the people that you encounter about who you are on a deep level. It can be really tempting to present ourselves in a way that we think people want us to be, but the truth is that eventually the truth is going to come out. And in that moment, the other person is going to make a decision about whether or not they want to be with you. And you can save yourself a lot of time at the front end by just being open and honest about who you are. So we're going to follow up this episode with another episode dedicated to similar topics. Be on the lookout for that. It should be coming next week. If you've been enjoying the podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you would take a moment to subscribe through the platform of your choice and maybe even leave a rating and a positive review. It really does help us out. If you'd like to support us in other ways, you can find us on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash beingwellpodcast. And for the cost of just a couple cups of coffee a month, maybe even just a cup of coffee a month, if you live around San Francisco like I do, you can support the show and you'll receive a bunch of bonuses in return. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.